Welcome back, everyone, to episode two of Under the Logo, a podcast uh, designed to bring you behind the scenes of the sporting world and shed some light on uh, some areas of sports that you might not necessarily be overly familiar with and maybe want to know more about. Uh, Today, our topic is going to be travel and road trips and what goes into that, uh, specifically from our CFL experience. There's an animal story which you're going to want to stick around for uh, because we were both there for it. It was wild, literally, and kind of unbelievable. So don't go anywhere because that's going to be coming up towards the end. By we, of course, I mean myself, Ray Perkin, and the creator of Under the Logo, Mr. RJ James. How's it going tonight, RJ? Uh, It's going great. And I can promise uh, everyone listening now that our story at the end will not stink. Uh, please stick around for that story. You will be thrilled. Yeah, not we, we we'll we'll get to the the nitty gritty of that story later. But uh, we were not thrilled at the time, so so we'll leave it at that for now. We'll come back to that later on. Um, but before before we get into the the topic of travel today, now uh, RJ, you have someone that you you want to say hello to specifically before we get going. Yeah, because otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. I'm visiting this person soon, and uh, I did going on a road trip, if you will. (laughs) I'm going on a road trip, actually, and this was my favorite place to travel in the CFL uh, because I got to see my sister, Mallory. Hi, Mallory. Sorry I missed you last week. We got you in this time. I really only wanted to say hi to Bella, but we'll say hi to Mallory. And hello to everyone who's listening out there. If you tuned in last week, thank you so much. We uh, we were, I don't know if overwhelmed is the right word, but we were pleasantly surprised at the number of listeners that we accumulated over the last week. Uh, so if you haven't caught the pilot episode of Under the Logo yet, you can go back and find that on Anchor or Spotify or however you're listening. Uh, if you did listen to it and you enjoyed it, then welcome back for round two of... We don't know how many yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, thanks very much to everybody who listened and, and all the positive feedback um, and the constructive criticism as well. Uh, that will help grow our podcast. I think we're just really going to let this thing grow organically and see where it takes us. Um, but so far, the reaction's been um, been pretty, pretty good. And, and uh, you know, hey, if you feel like listening to two guys talk about something they're passionate about, then uh, this is the place for you. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter at under the logo. Uh, We're working on some means of contact for those of you who aren't on Twitter and don't have access to that social media platform, but stay tuned for that. Uh, Otherwise you can just reach out to us directly because I feel like many of the people who uh, listen last week and are listening know us, so just use whatever means of contact. If you don't know us, uh, then special welcome to you, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the only thing I don't respond to is Morse code. So, or semaphore. I don't know semaphore. Do you know semaphore? No, no. Um, no. I always wanted to learn though. <laughs> uh, but our, our topic of today uh, is road trips and traveling. Uh, because there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, even, even before you get on a plane to, uh, travel to one of the the great cities in, in Canada that is home to a CFL team. So, uh, even months ahead of time before, uh, you, you're even getting on the plane or, or before you even pack a, a single bag, RJ, what's, what are some of the things that happen months ahead of time to, to start the preparations or start the planning for just a, your typical kind of two, three day CFL road trip? Yeah. So um, obviously in this case, uh, Ray and I will be talking more uh, CFL centric in terms of how these road trips go. Uh, we may throw in some tidbits here. Hey, hey, this is how it happens in the NHL. This is how it happens in baseball. This is how it happens in the NFL. Um, but in the CFL, uh, once the schedule gets released sometime in the winter, um, you'll start planning your road trips right away. Um, because the first thing you need to do, and, um, 
teams have started to to charter more and more so take private planes but uh, for the most part for a long time in the cfl uh, you were either taking a train or you were taking commercial flights sometimes having connections through different cities depending where you're going um, so you need to book cargo because you can't put your uh, football equipment on these commercial planes there's just simply not enough space um, so you know, you go through that, you book your space with the different commercial uh, cargo lines and you have to figure out at what time are they coming to your local stadium to pick up your equipment? At what time does that flight leave your local city? Uh, in, in Ray and I's most recent case, Ottawa, where is it, why is it leaving Ottawa? Where is it leaving Ottawa? And uh, what time do you need it in the following city? And are there flights that make sense and that can make that happen? Uh, obviously, if we're located in Ottawa, we can simply truck our equipment to whether it was Toronto, Hamilton, or Montreal. And so that those trips are, are fairly uh, easy to plan. But uh, sometimes when you're going to somewhere um, like Regina or um, uh, Winnipeg that don't have a major airport that maybe these cargo planes don't land in, uh, you have to uh, find a way to cre be creative sometimes. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of people, you'll turn on the TV on, on a Thursday night to watch, hey, Ticots take on Rough Riders here in Regina. Well, the equipment isn't just there. You have to find a way to get it there. And so this is something that you plan months and months in advance. And, uh, and it, you know, it costs, uh, it costs a pretty penny. Um, but that's all part of the, the cost of putting on a game. And certainly it's a very important job for the equipment managers um, and the travel coordinators to work together to make sure uh, they can get the equipment in the right city at the right time. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what happens months and months before the game. Um, and, and Ray, I'll let you lead into uh, what would happen maybe the week of a game. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that there, you know, there's not enough room on your typical passenger plane for, uh, you know, all of the football gear that you bring. So generally speaking, how many, uh, like for, for a typical regular season, two or three game road trip, how many bags, trunks, uh, et cetera, would, would a typical team carry with them? Yeah, for a regular season game um, where you're a little more uh, confident about the weather, you're probably looking at 60 to 75 pieces altogether. Uh, each player typically has their own bag. You may have uh, one bag per staff member uh, that you're traveling with because that's uh, uh, something else that you have to pack is uh, the clothing for the staff members. So it's not just the players' uniforms or the players' equipment. Um, there's also all the therapy equipment as well as video equipment. Uh, all the headsets and uh, all these things you you bring with you when you go to a game. So 60 to 75 pieces for a normal game. When you get into playoffs in the Great Cup, you're looking at uh, anywhere between 80 and 110 pieces, um, give or take. Obviously, if it's a cold weather game, you're looking at the higher end of that. But uh, in a normal game, you don't travel with your entire roster. You play usually, you travel usually with just the dress roster. Um, but in a great cup or a playoff game, you'll be traveling with quite a few more guys uh, and staff members as well. So, um, certainly you have to, uh, prepare to have more space on, on however you're traveling to this game. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think the kind of go, go along with what you're saying, the longer the road trip, the, the more days you're going to be on the road, the more things you're going to have just kind of out of, out of principle, um, which isn't abnormal for, you know, your average person going on their own trip of any kind. If you're going somewhere for two days, you're going to bring a lot less than if you're going for six or seven. Um, but now picture doing that, but with, you know, 60 people traveling. Um, and it, it certainly adds up. Uh, so the week kind of leading up to the road trip, um, Pretty much as soon, sometimes in some cases, you know, even before you've played the game before, uh, you'll start thinking ahead to the road trip and packing everything from, um, you know, the the some of the sideline gear for the coaches. Now, obviously, you're, you're not really going to do that before the previous game has has been played. 
because some of that, the, the coaches and the staff might need to wear that in that game. Um, but certainly, you know, you, you, you pack everything as you, as RJ said, for, uh, for all the staff who are traveling, if they're, if they're going to wear it on the sideline or up in the booth, um, you know, you start looking at the game jerseys and the game pants, uh, and putting those together, uh, making sure that kind of staying with the theme of uniform, making sure that socks, uh, you have extra socks because that's usually something, uh, before a game, you'll usually have, uh, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 guys who will need new socks, uh, before, before a game, uh, everything from gloves to towels to, um, you know, spare face masks in case one gets really bent during a game, spare helmets, um, chin straps, mouth guards. Uh, I mean, you name the piece of equipment. I think the only thing we generally didn't travel with was spare shoulder pads. Um, yeah. And there's, else- there's a reason for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and the main reason for that is amongst the CFL equipment guys, there's an agreement that um, if something were to happen, uh, to a pair of your shoulder pads to a game that the other guy can just lend you a pair for one game. Um, it happened to me, I believe it was 2008 on the way to Regina. Um, uh, one of the bags came off the plane, got dragged, the plastic in the shoulder pad cracked. Um, so unusable. And, uh, and the, uh, the equipment manager from Saskatchewan, thankfully had the exact same pair of pads that this player was wearing. So the player was none the wiser. I obviously told him because, you know, you just, you'd like to be up front with your guys. But uh, when he walked in the locker room, he saw that he thought they were his own pads um, and he was totally fine. Uh, some other guys might've been a little more finicky uh, obviously, but, uh, but this particular guy, I remember for sure was really cool about it. And, uh, and we got through the game and, you know, you hand the shoulder pads back to the other team after and, uh, and then you're on your way home. But uh, those kinds of things happen. I mean, uh, Ray, we had a helmet a few years ago. A helmet Came malfunction. <laughs> Thankfully, it was on the way back from a trip. And uh, if you guys could picture it, the, the helmet was squeezed like almost, you know, not quite in half, but, you know, pretty much. Um, it, w- it would and, be very and- hard to get someone's head into that helmet <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And, but we got to, we left that helmet in the equipment room for years and it may still be there. Um, and we got away with the story and, and we finally had kind of let the cat out of the bag. I think it was in 2019, but, uh, we got away with the story for years that what happened, it happened in a game where two players hit this player and the helmet just popped straight up in the air. And I mean, I'll try and find a picture of it and maybe we could post it, but it's, People, people um, were always, always seemed absolutely flabbergasted that a helmet <laughs> could do that with someone's head in it, which was not the case. It was just a fun story to tell people. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, that, that certainly it's very important that all the equipment managers in the CFL get along. You got to communicate with um, when is your gear coming in? You know, what time do you need the locker room opened? Your visiting locker room, uh, you know. One of the things we don't have to travel with uh, because we communicate amongst each other is towels. So they'll provide the, the home team, provide the towels for both teams. Um, and, and, and to just to clarify, you're talking like shower towels or bath towels. The towels I referred to earlier were just the small kind of quarterback and receiver towels that you see guys wearing in the game. The ones yeah. that RJ is talking about are the big, you know, shower towels that, cause you know, you want your guys to shower after a game, especially if you're, Bussing back or flying back immediately after because you don't want to be in a small enclosed space with lots of smelly people. No, no. And uh, um, the towels you see on a bench as well, the Gatorade towels, uh, those are also provided by the home team. Um, so, you know, it alleviates a little bit of the stuff you need to pack. Um, you know, and also if you were traveling back with that stuff, it'd be, be very wet. Um, but hey, uh, Ray, I think one of the things to talk about is what would you actually find in an individual player bag? So it depends on the player. It's a great question to ask. A lot of players, uh, generally speaking, would pack very light for a road trip because they know that, you know, a lot of guys know that we have their back in terms of, 
you know, if they need anything extra. So there might be uh, a helmet, a pair of shoulder pads, a pair of cleats, a pair of gloves, a couple of things to wear underneath the uniform in the game, uh, maybe a pair of shorts thrown in there to wear. Uh, other than that, there might not be a lot. If a guy wears a knee brace, he'll pack that, obviously. Um, but uh, generally speaking, I think you're... Uh, and it's, it's kind of interesting how this works by position. I don't know if you have experienced this as well, but generally speaking, your, your receivers and your DBs are the guys who pack pretty light. So their bags aren't going to have much in it, just the stuff they need. And that's it. Then you have your offensive linemen, uh, <laughs> offensive linemen like to pack a lot of things for games. Uh, it's not just that their stuff is bigger. Their helmets are usually bigger. Their shoulder pads are bigger. Their cleats are bigger. Uh, they just bring more stuff with them. They might bring two or three pairs of cleats. They might bring two or three sets of knee braces. Uh, they might bring three or four shirts to wear before the game. Uh, maybe some protein powder in there. Whatever the case is, and for whatever the, whatever reason, uh, offensive linemen, generally speaking, like to pack much, much heavier uh, bags than some of the smaller players do. I think their uh, goal really is to make sure that their bag weighs the same as them and, and that, you know, little tiny equipment guys like you and I, yeah. they like to challenge our, our skills in terms of carrying their bags from their locker onto the truck and then to wherever visiting locker we're going to. I never tried to pick up uh, John Gott, but if I, like, I imagine that it would be like picking up his travel bag. I think a little less hairy, the bag. Yes. Less beardy maybe. Yes. Um, but yes, uh, those bags were quite heavy. Um, and maybe part of it is office alignment typically spent a lot more time in the locker room prior to a game there. Yeah. They're and usually... that's, that's the, the part I was going to get to next. Like yeah. Gott was usually the first guy to show up in the locker room the day of the game. Uh, so, you know, he, and to his credit, like he used everything that he packed usually without maybe not, you know, all pairs of cleats that he packed, but all the other additional stuff like junk that he packed in his bag. I'm pretty sure he used all of it. So I know I was never mad at him for packing that much stuff because he used it all. Yeah. Um, let's just say not everybody was like that. No. <laughs> Got's one in a million in a lot of ways. Let's be clear. <laughs> there, there are definitely some guys that pack just to pack and listen, Hey, you got to be, uh, in a best, uh, frame of mind. You can be going into a game. So if packing all those extra cleats make you feel better, um, your different rollers and whatever else you want to throw in to that bag, uh, we certainly didn't stop you. Um, you know, short of putting in a anvil, I guess. Yeah. And there would be times too, like I remember there were a couple of times uh, our first year in Ottawa where we had some uh, some protein powder, shall we say, incidents uh, and a shampoo incident where we would show up uh, at the stadium, start unpacking the players' bags. And this is something that I don't know if people know either, but usually like that happens the night before the game. Uh, the equipment staff goes to the stadium unpacks uh, a bunch of the equipment and basically sets up the locker room for the next day uh, for the game. Um, but we would show up to the stadium, uh, start opening up the bags. And there were a couple of times where uh, someone would have a thing, would have a thing of protein powder in there and it, the, the, you know, plastic can or whatever that it comes in would uh, have broken and the powder would just have exploded all over everything in there uh, in their bag, which was never too much fun to clean up. Uh, and then of course the one time where we had a player's, uh, shampoo bottle burst in the bag, uh, and that got all over everything. It smelled great for like, you know, the rest of the year. The, the truth of that is he was our starting. It was Henry burst. It was our starting quarterback and it was abnormal. How many people were standing beside Hank that game, but obviously it was because he didn't he just smell smelled, that bad. The, he smelled fantastic. The shoulder pads, just as the game went on, the aroma from the shampoo just, you know, spread everywhere. And our sideline smelled great that day. Yeah. His helmet to clean 
wasn't fun the night before that let's get that clear that was not fun at all but these are the things that happen on a road trip and and exactly what ray said before is true is uh typically the day before the game you'll go in uh, the equipment staff will go in uh usually with the therapy staff as well and you'll unpack and set up every single locker so that when a player or coach walks in the day of a game into a visiting locker room it it feels a little more like home and all their stuff it is nice and neat and in order and uh and they don't have to go searching for anything they need you know um we tried to set up their lockers as best we could um obviously each individual has their own things that that they like to have on game day but we tried to make it look um uh consistent from locker to locker uh, yep. whether that was in the coach's locker room or the uh, players locker room. yeah and one of the, one of the things that that uh you did which i i really liked and bought into really quickly was uh you always had the jerseys uh the backs of the jerseys with the name uh on the back facing whatever door people came in from so it was always easy for guys to find their locker they didn't need to kind of do three or four laps around the the room to try and figure out which locker was theirs they it wasn't a free for all as to you know, I'll just take this one and someone's already claimed it. No, that, that doesn't happen. It's, you know, we go in and, and you would usually pick who was going in which locker you'd set the jerseys up before the players come in. So that, like I said, when they walk in, boom, they can see pretty obviously and clearly which locker is theirs and they can just head right there. Yeah, certainly we, um, you know, it was just something that we'd like to have a rhyme and reason to everything we did. And part of that was, um, so when a player walks in, it, it stays as consistent. So we tried to keep the position groups, uh, numerically, actually we tried, uh, sometimes we, we decided to take some liberties with that. Um, and then, you know, if we were, if a veteran was going to end up with, a with one of the worst lockers, we obviously wouldn't let that happen. And, um, but you know, yeah, we, we had the Jersey, uh, the name and the Jersey face the door, um, the helmet would face a certain way. And just it, just to make it consistent, no matter where we were, and uh, and hopefully it made the players feel comfortable, no matter where they walked into. Yeah, and that's the other thing too is, I mean, we would play in at least eight different stadiums over the course of the year. Some years even more because you might play a preseason game at a neutral site. We played a preseason game at Laval, for example. Uh, you, we played a regular season game at McMaster because Hamilton's stadium wasn't done. Um, so, you know, at least eight different visiting stadiums every year, just depending on, um, on the season. So, you know, having a little bit of, of normalcy within each of the, each of the individual, uh, dressing rooms was, was important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, the less guesswork any anybody could do going into a new place, even you know if it's your first time into a venue, at least you'd walk in and, and it would feel comfortable. Um, hopefully, for these players, I think for the most part it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. So, so speaking speaking of neutral yeah. site games, uh, this leads us kind of into our our first story because uh, as as some of the more diehard CFL fans were know, would know uh, the city of Moncton in New Brunswick, just up the road from my hometown of, of Sackville. Uh, Moncton has played host to several CFL games over the last decade or so. Uh, and RJ, when you were with Montreal, you were part of one of the teams who played in the Moncton game. Uh, yeah. I was always around on game day, helping out uh, one or both of the teams, but but you were actually a part of a team who physically had to travel to Moncton uh, and set up a room like we were just talking about. So um, your, your story brings us to Moncton and the uh, your, your kind of road trip experience there. So with all the logistics and, and keeping in mind, go, you know, showing up the day before and, um, you know, having a road trip that goes completely problem-free is tough to pull off. I think we we were successful in that a lot in Ottawa, but uh, your trip to Moncton wasn't necessarily uh, one of those entirely successful road trips. No. Um, 
you know, and, and these things happen. And this is the great thing about all the other equipment managers um, and just equipment people in general is you have to adapt to every different scenario you gets thrown at you. Um, and you have to do it for the most part with a smile on your face. Um, yeah, I agree with Ottawa. I think for the most part, our travel uh, history was pretty good. Maybe some timing issues with trucks here and there. Uh, but that's to be expected. And this is that's part of the reason why you usually go in the day before um, when you're flying across the country, just in case there are delays and things like that. Um, so in Moncton, uh, we were coming from Montreal and we trucked the equipment from Montreal to Moncton uh, because the plane we were taking uh, simply wouldn't accommodate all the equipment we were taking. So the 18-wheeler drives from Montreal all the way to Moncton, get to the stadium in Moncton, and there's no loading dock. There's no ramp on the truck. There's no lift gate on the truck. Well, this isn't a problem for the bags. This becomes a problem for the trunks, which you could have anywhere between eight and a dozen, you know, uh, some and they're, more. They're big and heavy. I would say, yes, they average you know, two to 300 pounds, depending on, on the trunk itself. Um, and let's just say the driver we had on that long haul was not in a position to help us. Um, so my dad at the time was the head equipment manager for the Alouettes. I was his assistant. And so we're looking at each other like, how in the heck are we getting these trunks off of this truck? Um, Thankfully, that day, there was a crew from RDS that was following my dad around to film a segment uh, from one of their shows, uh, including former NHLer Andre Waugh, who uh, was doing a little like kind of a funny skit um, a little bit where um, he was hiding around the stadium, this and that. Anyways, they stopped filming. They dropped what they were doing, and they we, we lifted these trunks off the truck, and and. I mean, everyone's seen an 18 wheeler. I mean, these, you know, they're at least five feet off the ground and it, it was quite the job. And I, it, you know, I'll never forget those guys helped us so much. Um, but it, you know, these are one of the challenges that we, and here's the thing about it is the players came in that next day and knew nothing about these struggles. And that's the way we wanted it is, Hey, we're just there to do our job. We'll get things ready. They walk in like it's normal. Um, the other interesting thing about the, the Moncton stadium is, is the, the way the doors are and the way to get into the different rooms, some of the trunks don't fit through certain areas. So we were playing against the Hamilton Tiger Cats and they were already set up in their dressing room. Well, we had to go through their dressing room to get to our dressing room with our trunks, with the bags, with, there was other ways we can go around, but with the trunks, um, but thankfully, uh, I had previously worked with the equipment manager from the Hamilton Tiger Cats and we had got along great. We still do, uh, we're still good friends and, uh, you know, he's, he was cool with it, but, uh, obviously if, if that was someone that you didn't get along with, um, that might've been a little tougher. So, uh, that was certainly a big challenge. I'll never forget that. And thankfully the RDS guys were there and they really helped us. Otherwise, uh, we were up a Creek without a paddle on that one. Yeah, that's that's one of the quirks of uh, men. I guess not many, but some of the some of the stadiums around the CFL. You know, the, you have to go through different areas to get to uh, the dressing room from the loading dock. I think BC is probably the easiest in terms of loading and unloading because the truck literally pulls up directly outside the door of your locker room. Yeah, um, yeah. Skydome used to be that way. That was fantastic. Um, uh, but yeah, it, you know, there are some stadiums that are a little more challenging than others. Uh, you know, it, anyone that's ever been to, to McGill Stadium in Montreal, uh, if you've sat on the south side, uh, then you've walked through where the equipment comes in and out uh, without knowing it because there's one loading dock in and out of that stadium and it's on the south side. And so the only way to load the equipment into the locker room and out of the locker room is through that south side concourse. And that is it. Um, so, you know, some stadiums are, are, are a big challenge. Uh, Ottawa's not too, too bad. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Toronto, uh, 
is pretty good overall. Uh, Hamilton's pretty good now. Um, Regina's great now. Winnipeg's great. And uh, the newer stadiums, Calgary's very good. And Edmonton's good. Um, but uh, yeah, M- Montreal is, is a challenge a little bit. And then some of these other, uh, these one-off stadiums, uh, uh, when um, when BC played outside of BC place for a couple of years there, that was, or maybe it was one season, that was a bit of a challenge as well. I remember. Um, based on where they had the locker room and, and where the truck was, but uh, but these are the things we had to do, and, and we did them, and um, it's part of part of the deal. Yeah, and I, and I think you used this word uh, a few minutes ago, but a big part of any uh, equipment manager's job is just the ability to adapt uh, and adjust on the fly to whatever situation uh, presents itself. Uh, such yeah. as after a Grey Cup game when the truck shows up and might be too small for the equipment? Question mark. <laughs> so, you know, as you're saying that, I'm remembering the the day before the game. And it was probably the day I've come the closest to losing my mind on the job. Um, so for, so- for uh, <laughs> just to contextualize this, this is 2016. Uh, the Grey Cup is in Toronto, and we, Ottawa, the Red Blacks, are playing against Calgary. Uh, and that, yeah, the day before the game was uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, no. Uh, so the loading dock. So to to put this into context as well, is we work out of the hotel. So our, our home base for the week isn't a locker room at, at BMO field or any other football stadium. It's actually the hotel. And the reason for that is it, it just makes it easier for the players and for the staff to, to get what they need when they need it. You know, if, if you're at a locker room across town, you know, it becomes a challenge, you know, getting, getting a player across the town, you know, if he needs to get therapy or whatever. So typically now teams, you'll set up in the hotel, wherever you're based. And so that's where we were. Um, and this hotel was downtown Toronto, as you can expect the loading dock, not very convenient. Um, so we figure, okay, we're going to plan ahead and we're going to try and bring most of our gear down towards this loading dock so that when the truck shows up at, you know, whatever time we had it scheduled, I don't know if it was two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever it was. And we, we brought most of our gear down. Um, and the hotel staff is was a- great, by the way. They were yeah. helpful and accommodating and allowed us to kind of take up some of their area for what ended yeah. up being a good chunk of time. And this is the same space that they go through with their linens and, you know, I mean, that you can imagine how many, you know, uh, laundry carts a hotel goes through in a day and the loading dock that Navy as well for their food and beverage that comes in and their linens that come in and out. And, um, but they were being accommodating. They booked some space and time for us and they're great. Uh, obviously downtown Toronto traffic. Um, not sure if anyone's ever been there. It's not great. <laughs> it's, the truck was a little late, little late, uh, probably about an hour late, I think. And he shows up and the truck is, is, uh, I'm an optimistic guy. It was half full. Um, and here's the thing with football equipment. You need the whole truck, uh, especially on a great cup week. You need yeah, the now entire truck. To be fair, we're not talking an 18 wheeler in this case. It's a, it's no. a cube truck, which like, you're right. This this so one was a 24, <laughs> this one was a 24 footer and you need the whole thing. Um, and he was his, he didn't want to be even more late. So he figured he'd show up and, and do five, six trips, whatever it took. Um, so that was quite frustrating. Anyways, bottom line is we got it done. They sent another truck eventually. Um, it was a, it was a, li- a much later night than it should have been for us. But, uh, but we got it done and obviously the game, uh, went pretty well on our end and then the post game happened. So just to give people a, a visual of what a, a post game winning locker room looks like there we won is, the game, by the way. We, we did win that game. There was, there's beer cans everywhere. 
there is champagne bottles, there's smoke from, from cigars. cigars. Um, players have their families in there. Uh, I mean, it, the locker room is, it's a, it's, it's a disaster to put it lightly, a complete disaster, but a very happy but disaster, a very happy disaster, disaster from, uh, uh, how do I do my job standpoint? But at the same time, you're not really thinking of that for a long time. You know, you, you kind of get lost in the moment and uh, you just enjoy it. We sat back. There's a beautiful picture of Ray and I just kind of looking at, we'll post that this week as well of like, what the heck just happened and what are we doing next? And, um, and then we got to get that truck. We got to get the equipment out of there at some point, you know? So our truck driver shows up and he is just flabbergasted at what is in the appalled room. at how much stuff we have to load into the truck <laughs> he had no clue which you know it no fault of his own you know not his fault but he thought he was picking up a light load i guess and um he's telling us i can't load all this in we're gonna have to get another truck in here uh Meanwhile, Ray and Drew were just actually just loading the truck. I believe we had just, we were determined because I think even we had, like we were maybe having some kind of internal debate as to whether or not everything could fit. But I think Drew more so than any of us was just determined that everything was going to fit. And so I was along for the ride with that one. My, my dad helps. He, he, he stuck around and, 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 uh, Oh, that was, uh, it was just the driver. It, he just, it looked like we were trying to put a square peg in a round hole for him. And, uh, I guess he didn't realize that we've done that before. And, and we found a way we did um, get everything into the truck. We got everything into that truck. Uh, however, man, 110 pieces that we had that, you know, plus obviously we, you know, thankfully we were able to bring home the, the trunk for the gray cup, uh, as well. Yeah. So, bonus yeah, piece. That's, yeah. That's the one you really want to make sure that you bring home. Um, yeah. but yeah, that, that was, uh, that's certainly one, um, I'll always remember for sure. <laughs> yeah. And speaking, speaking of stories that we'll always remember, uh, <laughs> our, our final road trip story, the promised animal story. Uh, I told you, I told you guys this story would not stink, but I think Ray's about to show his stripes. Yeah. It's, uh, one of the weirder things that I think I've ever been a part of one of the weirder events. Um, cause we had just played in Montreal and Ottawa and Montreal are about two hours away driving distance. So what we would typically do was after immediately after the game, as soon as everything was loaded up, we would get on the bus and drive back. I think we, I think we were on the bus with the team back that year. Um, but then we, you know, when we arrived back at the stadium, uh, our logic was, well, we'll unload the truck and get most of the stuff put away tonight. So then there's less to do tomorrow. So we got to wait around for the, for the truck to show up a little bit. So we get back to the stadium, we prop open the doors, uh, at TD place. So, I'll, uh, I'll give people a visual here. So on, on the Southeast side of the stadium, uh, next time you're at TD place, look, there's a, just behind the a, red box bench. Yeah. There, well, on this, on the end zone side, there's that yep. uh, paved path. And then there's the doors that the team comes in and out of, uh, in the Southwest corner or Southeast corner. Yep. And the team comes in and out of there. And those are the doors that we would prop open because our locker room is located right under there. And so the truck would back up behind the end zone and that's where we had load and unload from. Yeah. So we, we propped open those doors and we opened up the, the garage door at the front of the equipment room as well, because we figured we'd save ourselves a little time. Uh, so we're sitting there and we're waiting for the truck to show up. I was sitting at my desk towards the back of the equipment room. Uh, and all of a sudden RJ standing in front of my desk goes, there's a skunk in here. Now it's like what two thirty in the morning, maybe at this point. I, 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 yeah, at the earliest. So it, I was a, a little bit, bit tired. 
and I thought that RJ was referring to a beverage that was sitting on my desk because sometimes beverages have a certain smell about them. Uh, so I kind of chuckled to myself and then RJ, I think realized that I didn't really grasp what was going on in this moment. And he repeated himself and he said, Ray, there's a skunk in here. So I get up from my desk and I look around the corner and sure enough, basically standing right in the middle of our equipment room, right next to all of our game jerseys, might I add, is a real live four-legged skunk. Uh, now I, full disclosure, I grew up in Sackville, New Brunswick. It's a fairly rural place. We had plenty of wildlife roaming around our backyard. I had never encountered a skunk personally before, uh, but I like to think I handled it pretty well because uh, I, I tried to remain very calm uh, while also, I think, trying to keep you fairly calm because you were understandably worried and, uh, yeah. I don't know if my, panicking is the right word, but you were, my, you were stressed. Uh, the and jerseys so we were wearing for the next week were hanging right around where the skunk was like kind of walking. Right yeah. And if he had decided to spray, I, we would not have had the time to get a new set. Cause that would have been the only option. No. <laughs> So uh, for that next game, I don't know what we would have done. Rec recognizing that and recognizing that RJ, uh, who was potentially in full panic mode, uh, I didn't want anything to necessarily agitate our furry little friend. Uh, so we, we retreated into the locker room, shut the door. Uh, so the skunk couldn't get into the locker room because that would also have, could also have been very bad. Um, and what we did was we very quietly took some of the field equipment. So the big kind of puffy bags that the, the players and coaches use in practice. And we basically made a funnel from the front door of the equipment room back towards the doors. Uh, yeah. And then just kind of hung out down the hallway a little bit. And after, I don't even know if it was, I probably felt like 15 minutes. I don't know if it was more than four or five. Uh, we saw him just kind of, or her, uh, kind of waddle out from the equipment room, following the funnel with the bags that we had created, uh, out the door, at which point we basically sprinted back down the hall, shut all of the doors <laughs> to the equipment room, uh, shut the doors coming in from the field and proceeded to, uh, basically say to ourselves, what just happened? Yeah. I, I think we, yeah, there was a lot of disbelief after that, but it was amazing to once we created the little funnel that the, the little one just, just decided to, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I got the, I got the message here. I'm not welcome. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be on my merry way. And, and, and the skunk they, did not, uh, the, the skunk grenade did not go off. Uh, everything was perfectly a okay. Uh, and it's a, it's a, uh, along with our hearts, by the way. <laughs> What's that? Along with our hearts, by the way. Yes. Yeah. I might've been calm on the outside, but I certainly was not on the inside. My insides were doing the, all kinds of, all kinds of things while I was waiting and hoping for the skunk to leave peacefully. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, um, one of the crazier nights, uh, you know, and then we still had work to do after that. Yeah. We so still had we to get, the, get the truck to show up and then <laughs> unload the truck. And, you know, and, and not only, and, and to also peel back a little bit, once the truck's unloaded, there's still laundry to do, um, because you can't let the laundry sit for too long, obviously, um, you know, that wouldn't be good for anybody. So, uh, that was quite the, uh, quite the night for us. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'll, I'll transition to something that, uh, I don't know if we'll do all the time. Uh, but here's a story involving equipment that. I think is very noteworthy and very amazing. Um, it, it, uh, and, and people may have seen it, may have not, but, uh, shout out to Ethan bear of the Carolina hurricanes who was hosting a hockey camp for, um, indigenous, uh, children in the area. He had heard that one young man, uh, was going to, um, back out of the, the camp because he didn't have equipment. And so um, Ethan had organized for um, the young man, Lionel Kenny, 
was the young man's name. He was 12 years old. Uh, he said, okay, meet me at this sports store and we'll get you some skates. Well, Ethan uh, decided to uh, buy equipment head to toe for this young gentleman. And, and the, the young lad was able to participate in Ethan Bear's hockey camp. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm sure things like that happen, you know, uh, quite often when we may not hear about them. But this is something we did hear about. And, uh, and awesome on you, Ethan Bear, and, uh, and good on you, Lionel, for participating in the camp. And I'm sure a good time was had by all. So that, that's pretty amazing. That's awesome. And hopefully, hopefully we're able to share more uh, kind of good news type stories like that as, as we go through over the next few weeks and, and months and years or however long this podcast lasts. But um, that's an, an awesome story by Ethan Bear, very uh, inspiring young hockey player who, uh, as you mentioned, plays for the, the Hurricanes now. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, and then next we'll go into our... Um... Our, our final segment of the, of the, of the podcast. And uh, this is our, our weekly uniform of the week. Um, I'll, uh, you know what? I'm going to let Ray lead off this week. Yeah. So just uh, again, for those of you who listened last week, you'll know that uniform of the week, uh, you'll be familiar with it. For those of you who didn't listen to last week's yet, first of all, shame on you, go back, listen to the pilot, then make your way back to, to this one or, or any future ones. Um, but uniform of the week is where we we kind of say what our favorite uh, uniform that we saw in the world of sports was over the last week or however long it's been since our last uh, since our last episode. Um, now, generally speaking, I, I think as much as possible, we're going to try and keep it to uh, a uniform that we saw uh, in action, but it it's our podcast. It's our segment. We're going to break our rules every once in a while. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm doing, uh, because the the uniform that I am choosing for my uniform of the week is not one that saw any action this week because it belongs to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, obviously, they haven't played any games recently, uh, but it's their heritage blue jerseys with the retro Jets logo in the middle. My goodness, this is a thing of beauty. I love the old school Winnipeg Jets jersey. Not that there's anything wrong with the new one either, just to clarify. I do like the the new age, uh, new brand that they have, but that old logo is, and and the, the uniform and the color combination is just impressive. I am a big fan of it. Uh, they tweeted it out this week saying that it's still around and still available in stores. Uh, I'm hoping that also means they're going to be wearing it more in the future because it's an awesome look. Uh, with the navy blue and the red and the old logo, and it's just, it's all awesome. Well, speaking about awesome and breaking rules, um, so I know that we said this would be a uniform of the week, um, but I decided, because I get half the vote around here, to make it the uniforms of the week. Um, and for those of you that watched the clip, of the entrance. Uh, I mean, I still get chills. I've watched it about a dozen times. If you have not watched the entrance to the field of dreams game with Kevin Costner and the players walking out of the cornfields, stop might what be... you're doing right now. Pause the podcast. It's not going to be much longer, but you can come back and finish it after go and watch that video. It might and be the greatest sports entrance of all time. I think it's the coolest sports entrance I've ever seen in, in all my years, which is not that many, but like, it's quite a few, you know, amazing. Again, I get chills watching it. So shout out uh, to the Chicago white Sox and the New York Yankees wearing those retro uniforms inspired by the field of dreams movie. And that game was actually amazing. Uh, walk hall foam run. And the fireworks over the cornfield to end it. I mean, that could be a movie in itself. But that those uniforms looked fantastic. And uh, like I said, if you haven't watched the entrance, go back and watch it. Uh, it spend the ten minutes that it takes because it is 
awesome. Yeah, lots of stuff to like from the Field of Dreams game last week, but you're absolutely right. I, I, in my opinion, the White Sox uniforms in particular looked particularly impressive. Uh, and straight from uh, straight from the movie too, Field of Dreams movie, same uniforms that the White Sox wore in the movie. Yeah, no, it was uh, fantastic, and and I think we all watched the Field of Dreams sometime in the last week or so. So, and if you haven't done that, do that now. It's on my list. Okay. <laughs> also on our list is episode three coming your way at some point in the future. Uh, so stay tuned to our Twitter at under the logo. Uh, if you're listening to us on Spotify, don't forget to follow under the logo. Uh, you can also find us on anchor.fm. You can find us at Google podcasts on breaker. Uh, however, you're listening to us, be sure to subscribe if possible uh, reach out to RJ or myself or the under the logo Twitter account at under the logo uh, with any uh, feedback you have, with any suggestions you have, any questions you have, any particular topics you want to hear about. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. We're we're very open to uh, interacting and to to addressing any any questions or topics that uh, that you, our beloved listeners, want to want to hear about. And if we can't find the answer, we'll just simply ignore your question. No, I'm just kidding. We'll we'll try and find the answer. Yeah, as as we said last week, we'll we have a, a pretty good network of people who still work in the uh, equipment field, so we'll we'll be able to find an answer one way or another. I'm sure. Absolutely. So thank you very much for listening this week. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and stay tuned for more episodes of the logo coming your way very soon.